Now, that Old Testament reading had some very strong language in, indeed. It talked about people putting other people to death um, within the government community. And you might think to yourself, particularly if this is your first time at church today, what on earth is Mark doing choosing an Old Testament passage like that? Is he crazy? Is he just plain foolhardy? What is going on? Well, look, the reason I felt compelled to have that as the Old Testament reading is because it is the very area of the Bible that Peter is quoting from in the New Testament reading, the sermon series that we've been going through over the past few um, uh, weeks. And it gives us, um, as I'll be saying in the sermon, a context to what holiness um, looks like, the content of holiness. But something that I do want to be absolutely clear on up front is that the consequences for unholiness, the punishment for holiness that we see in Leviticus was the Old Testament law, and that has completely and radically changed now with the coming of Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of the law, he himself, in his death on our behalf, took the curse of the law. So all the punishment for the sin of the whole world has gone on him. So if this is your first time at church, you thought, oh my goodness, the first reading I come to is this. Please, can I encourage you that the message of Jesus and the message of Christianity really is good news for all people, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. But if that has thrown up questions for you, if you're still thinking, my goodness, why on earth did that happen even back then, please do grab me afterwards. I'd love to chat more to you. There is a lot of misunderstanding today about the Old Testament law, how you apply it to us today. Please speak to me at the end. With that in mind, let me pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll dive into 1 Peter. Let's pray. Father God, thank you very much indeed for all of your Bible and everything you've been showing us from this New Testament letter, the Apostle Peter, and writing to these Christian readers in Asia Minor. And wherever we're coming from today, would your spirit please speak to us? Would we hear your voice? Would we know exactly how you want us to live for you today? And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, well, it's another week, it's another Sunday, and there's another story uh, in the news about the trials, the pressures, the difficulties, the silences, silencing of Christians um, around the world today. So Israel Folau, we've mentioned him before in a previous uh, sermon. He's the Australian rugby player. Um, he put out this provocative post on his Instagram feed about hell awaits anyone who does not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Admittedly, you know, probably not the best way of engaging people with the Christian message, but certainly something that he was um, free to do. Although the rugby authorities thought otherwise, and because of the particular verse that he quoted from on his Instagram feed, it was deemed by Rugby Australia to be anti-gay, and so they sacked him from the team, and he's had his contract terminated. You've probably heard about this. But the story continues. Israel Folau felt that he wanted to take legal action here, that this was unfair dismissal. And so he set up a fundraising page at GoFundMe.com. And he had raised up to 750,000 Australian dollars. Um, and then suddenly, uh, out of the blue, GoFundMe pulled his page and refunded all the money um, to the donors. Uh, justifying their decision, GoFundMe said they do not tolerate the promotion of discrimination or exclusion, which sounds wonderful, except if you think about it for a moment, they are excluding Israel Folau. The very reason why he went to their website to get fundraising was because he thought he was discriminated against. 
GoFundMe added that fostering an environment of inclusivity was a priority for the organization. That was the reason why they did this. Although clearly, again, you think about it for a moment, they are not being inclusive of Christian beliefs. Now, don't get me wrong, GoFundMe has its tightly worded terms and conditions. It has complete right to decide who can and who cannot use its website. But, I mean, you cannot miss the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of it all, given GoFundMe's own exclusion and discrimination against Christian beliefs. But that's the culture we live in today, not just in Australia, we've been seeing it here in the UK. Throughout this sermon series, we've heard of Richard Page. We've heard of Felix Nagoli, Christy Higgs, Israel Falau. Christians being expelled, Christians being sacked, Christians being silenced, purely for expressing their Christian beliefs in the public sphere. And I want to ask you today, how are you responding to that? We're hearing it a lot through the sermon series. What do you make of it? Are you getting angry about it all? Are you getting frustrated? Are you thinking, I want to do something about it? I want to hit back. Perhaps, on the other hand, you are scared. You are fearful. You are wondering what might happen to you. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to keep my faith private. I don't dare talk about Jesus in my office or with my friends. If you're someone here looking into Christian things, you think, my goodness, if that's what's coming my way, not for me, thanks. And the rest of us, well, we could be somewhere in between. How does God want us to respond as we continue to hear of these news stories each week? What does God want us to do? How does God want us to live today as the heat is being increasingly turned up against just normal Christian believers and the church today? Well, look, that is what the next section of 1 Peter is all about. This is verses 13 to 25, where Peter says, look, now is the time for action. So far, in verses 1 to 12, it's been all about God's action and all the wonderful things that God has done for Christians in Jesus Christ. He says in verses 1 to 2, God has chosen you. He says verses 3 to 9, God has given you this living hope that can never be taken from you. Verses 10 to 12, God has made you the most privileged people in the universe. God has done all this for you, but now, verses 13 to 25, time for action, time for response. What are you to do? How are you to live? Two things in verses 13 to 16 that we're focusing on today. Be hopeful, be holy. That's it, two things, be hopeful, be holy. Let's start with the first, be hopeful. Glance down with me at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. In other words, Peter's saying, what I'm about to say to you requires clear, disciplined thinking. You need to train your mind with this. You need to preach this to yourself. You need to remind yourself every day Verse 13, to set your hope. That is the main verb in this sentence. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Here's how we're to respond. Here's the first command, the most important thing of all. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Now notice what Peter does not say. He does not say, create your hope, make your own hope, hope against hope. He says, set your hope. Why is this significant? Because you can set 
your hope on the wrong thing. There is nothing more tragic than if you're chatting to a friend, to a colleague who is speaking to you and saying they just feel hopeless, that life seems hopeless, that all hope is lost. I'm not sure if you've ever had that conversation with someone. Now, strictly speaking, not that you'd say it straight to them in the moment, that is not exactly true. Hope is never completely lost. Hope can be misplaced. Think about when you lose your house keys, your car keys at home. It's not that the keys have completely disappeared. It's not like they're no longer there. Just frustratingly, when you're trying to get out of the house, they've been misplaced. They're in the wrong place. So it is with hope. No matter how much you feel that all hope is lost, it has never completely disappeared. It is still there. It is just that it has been misplaced. It is in the wrong place. You have it in the wrong place. And dare I say, for the past few hundred years, since the Enlightenment, that is where, broadly speaking, Western culture has gone wrong, as it has placed its fundamental hope in humanity to make the world a better place. Listen to these words from the Second Human Manifesto, written in 1973. The next century can be and should be the humanistic century. Dramatic, scientific, technological, and ever-accelerating social and political changes crowd our awareness. We have virtually conquered the planet, explored the moon, overcome the natural limits of travel and communication. We stand at the dawn of a new age, ready to move farther into space and perhaps inhabit other planets, using technology wisely. We can control our environment, conquer poverty, markedly reduce disease, extend our lifespan, significantly modify our behavior, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, unlock vast new powers, and provide humankind with unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. And where has this hope and humanity led us since 1973? To the bloodiest century on record? To poverty, disease, and what one person has coined the inhumanity in humanity still very much around today. To a political environment which is increasingly polarized, to an economic environment where the latest generation in this country will be the first generation to be worse off than their parents. To a social environment with unprecedented levels of knife crime, depression, and increasing apathy and cynicism towards the future. This command in verse 13 by the Apostle Peter could not be more relevant for us today. Set your hope on Jesus Christ. Not yourself, not humanity, but the one person who can make a difference. We have a deity who can save us, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you can be sure this future is coming, this perfect future, this second coming because of all that Jesus did in his first coming. He lived a perfect life for you and me. And he died a sacrificial death for all the sin, the evil, the wickedness in this world. And he rose from the dead three days later. Proof that there is such a thing as life after death and a perfect world to come. 
Where is your hope? We all have it. We're all placing it somewhere. Where are you placing yours? Is it on Jesus Christ? Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so look, you know, if you're feeling the heat for being a Christian right now, if you feel it this week at work, at home, sports field, reading group, whatever it is, here is one thing, the first thing for you to do. As it happens, as you feel the pressure, you feel the hate, set your hope on Jesus Christ. Peter says, train your mind. So that's the first, that's where it goes, to him. And say to yourself, preach to yourself, Jesus Christ is coming back. I can be sure of it because of his life, death, and resurrection. I'm not going crazy, even though I'm the only person in my office who believes this. I've not made a terrible mistake. He is coming back for me. Can you do that? Set your hope on him. Preach to yourself. Train your mind. When you continue to read of all these stories of Christians being expelled, sacked, silenced, this is our first move. Set your hope on Jesus Christ with minds alert. We're ready for this. Sober, we're not distracted by other things. We look to Jesus, we think about the second coming, we think about his return. And whatever is lost for him in this life, we know will be more than made up for in the next. When things are just feeling completely hopeless for you, and you say to yourself, you think to yourself, all hope is lost. Remember, that is never the case with Jesus Christ. It is never the case with him. The way the world is right now is not the way it will always be. A better day is coming, and Jesus will turn it around all in an instant. Set your hope on him. Do you know what happened to Israel Folau after his fundraising page got pulled by GoFundMe? Dot com. Uh, an alternative uh, fundraising page was set up by the Australian uh, Christian lobby, ACL, and more money was raised in the first 24 hours, one million Aussie dollars, than had been previously on the GoFundMe page. Once it got to two million Aussie dollars, they stopped asking for donations because it was coming in too fast. Now, do not mishear me. I'm not saying that in any way not to be naive about the ongoing court case, not to be naive about the ongoing complaints that are being made by the Australia, to the Australian Charity Commission for allowing ACL to do this and the ongoing online abuse against Israel and his wife. But I do say this to show you how easy it is for Jesus Christ to turn things around just like that. Now, he doesn't promise to do it in this life, but he has promised he will do it for every Christian believer when he is revealed at his second coming. Set your hope on him. Let me give one more good news story because I know I've been sharing a lot of sad and tricky and difficult ones uh, recently. Uh, do you remember Felix Nagoli? Um, the person who was on a student on a social work course at the University of Sheffield. He was expelled from the course in 2016 after expressing some of his Christian beliefs and the biblical views uh, on marriage on his Facebook page. His appeal, the final sentence came through on Wednesday, and the Court of Appeal, this Wednesday of this week, ruled in his favor, upholding the legal right of Christians to express biblical views on social media without fear 
for their professional careers. Commenting on the decision, Felix said, this is great news, not only for me and my family, but for everyone who cares about freedom of speech, especially for those working in or studying for caring professions. As Christians, we are called to care for and serve others, and publicly and privately, we must be free to express our beliefs, especially when asked, without fear of losing our livelihoods. I have suffered tremendously as a result of how I was treated by the University of Sheffield, and I feel that four years of my life have been taken away from me. Despite all this, Felix says, I feel overwhelming joy that what I have lost will be so much gain to Christians today and in the future as a result of this important ruling for freedom. Friends, will you set your hope on Jesus Christ? No matter what we lose in this life, no matter what you've already lost in this life, will be so much gain, if not in this life, then certainly in the next life. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Well, look, that's the first command. Be hopeful. The second command comes up in verses 14 to 16. Be holy. Be hopeful, verse 13. Be holy, verses 14 to 16. Let me read from verse 14. Follow along with me. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Whenever we face the heat for being a Christian, it is so tempting, maybe it's just me, um, to hit back um, at the mockery, um, to resent those who are uh, alienating you, to resent God um, for allowing this to happen to you. And perhaps sometimes when you feel the pressure is really on from your friends, from your colleagues, you are really tempted to um, join in with what they're saying, join in with what they're doing for fear of what may happen to you if you don't. But Peter says to his readers here, no matter what the situation you find yourself in, be holy. And do you notice he says, be holy in all you do. That is all parts of life, every area of life. In all you think, in all your speech, in all your action. Be holy in all you do. Holiness really, really matters. Now, just to be clear, because often people get this wrong, um, we are not saved by our holiness. Okay? We are saved for holiness. We are not saved by our good works. That is something only Jesus Christ can do. That's why he came. That's why our hope is about grace. It's a free gift. So never think we're being holy in order to earn God's favor to get into heaven. We are not saved by holiness, but we are saved for holiness. And that is why it is the second command. After having set your hope on Jesus Christ, this is what God wants for us. This is how important it is. This is what our lives are about now if we're followers of Jesus. Holy living, holiness, being holy. Can I ask, is that important to you? As important as it is to God. Now, when Peter says here, be holy in all you do, by definition, that includes, as I said, all areas of life, and that must include Areas of human identity and human sexuality. Think of where the heat is particularly being applied against Christians right now. When you think of the magistrate Richard Page, or the student Felix Nagoli, or the teacher and mum Christy Higgs, or the Australian rugby player Israel Folau, what do they all have in common? 
when they were expelled, when they were sacked, when they were silenced. They were standing up for and expressing Christian beliefs, orthodox, biblical beliefs on sex, on marriage, and on family. Now, you've got to have realized that. You've got to see that. Which means this is the area more than any other at the moment where we are going to be most tempted not to be holy whether in our own personal lives or in the life of the church or as we are trying to engage graciously, gently, lovingly with culture at the moment. But we do so at our peril. It is so tempting to keep quiet on these particular issues, to keep our views private. We mustn't be holy in all you do. I wonder what you did make of the Old Testament reading from Leviticus 20, if not the consequences and the punishments of the actual commands themselves. Because this is where Peter is quoting from. And the reading particularly started with, be holy as I am holy, and finished with, be holy for I am holy. And what were the majority of the commands in between? These were commands about who to have sex with and who not to have sex with. And about marriage and about family. And you think, really, is that, you know, wow. And God talks about how this really does matter to him. Sexual ethics really matter to God. That we live as he wants. Now, let's be clear. It's not because God is a prude. It's not because God is anti-sex. No, it's because he's absolutely pro-sex. Sex is a gift from God. It is to be enjoyed in the right context, in the way he has designed it to be which is exclusively within marriage and for marriage to be between one man and one woman for life, which is exactly what Jesus Christ taught as well. Now look, as I say that, I know this is very countercultural. I know this is going to be a very hard teaching for some of you here right now, and you might think, my goodness, how do I accept this, and you know, how do I live this out? Well, look, remember what we saw before in verse 13. Set your hope on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. This is God come to earth, fully human, fully divine, and he lived a perfect life of holiness. He has set the pattern for us, and not just the pattern for us, but the power to help us now, as he is with us now. And Jesus died a sacrificial death for all the times we get this wrong, personally, in sexual impurity, or every time we've missed an opportunity to stand up for Jesus in this area, there is always forgiveness with him. It's what's so wonderful about following Jesus. There is always a fresh start. There's always another opportunity. And not just that, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so no matter how difficult you may find this, and the feelings and the desires might be so strong, it is coming to an end. Just notice what Peter says here. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And those desires can be so strong. We have good godly desires, of course. We have evil desires as well. And the fight for holiness, the path to holiness, it's not easy. Never let anyone tell you otherwise. It is a daily battle and we'll be wrestling with these desires until Jesus comes back. But at the end, when he does, it will all come to an end. Set your hope on Jesus Christ. Be enabled to live this life of holiness. And Peter continues to pile on the motivations in verses 14 to 16. This is where we'll finish. 
Notice how he starts the verse. As obedient children. Think of how you came, a child of God. It wasn't something that you did. God saved you. God forgave you. God loves you. God's transforming you. God sent his spirit in you. His power is available to you right now. He says in the middle there, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. God has called you. Called you specifically for this life of holiness. And what he has started in you, he will not finish. He will finish, sorry, that doesn't make sense, does it? What he started in you, he will bring to completion. He will finish it. Take comfort from that. He's at work in you. And then look at the end, verse 16. Be holy. Ultimately, why? Because I myself am holy, says God. God is the great standard of holiness. His way really is the best way to live. Look, I think deep down, all of us, every human being has a sense that there is such a thing as right and wrong. That there is a good for this society, there is a bad for this society, even though often people disagree about what that right, that wrong, that good, that bad is. And one of the key questions to ask yourself is, where does that sense of a right and wrong come from? The Russian philosopher Vladimir Solovyov sarcastically summarized the ethical teaching of secular humanism like this. Humanity descended from apes, therefore we must love one another sarcastically summarized it, because, you know, his point is that's just completely illogical. If it is true that humanity is descended from apes and the strong eating the weak, well, why not live like that today? Why must we love one another? If we've come from the survival of the fittest, well, why not live like that today? Why should we care about minority rights, equality, and tolerance? It makes no logical sense. And so the growing consensus amongst scholars today is that it is the Judeo-Christian religion that has given these values to us. Listen to these words from the German philosopher, sociologist, Jürgen Habermas. You'll see the words on the screen if you can read them. The ideals of freedom and a collective life in solidarity, the autonomous conduct of life and emancipation, the individual morality of conscious human rights democracy is the direct legacy of the Judaic ethic of justice and the Christian ethic of love. To this day, there is no alternative to it. We continue to draw on the substance of this heritage. Everything else is just idle, postmodern talk. Be holy, God says, because I am holy because I am the God of holiness, because I have made you for lives of holiness. And it breaks my heart when I see you setting your hope on other things, things that will fail you, things that will let you down. So come back to me, come back to Jesus Christ. He's lived the life of holiness for you. He's died so you can have it again. And one day in the future, he is coming back so that this whole world will be full of that holiness. Do you hear the commands? Are you up for this? Set your hope on Jesus Christ and let's live lives of holiness to God and for the sake of others that they may also put their hope in Jesus Christ, the one person we all need. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this next part of 1 Peter's. You move us to action. 
call us to respond, to be hopeful, to be holy. Please, with your spirit, enable us to do just that, to set our hope on this grace, this future grace, Jesus' second coming, for us to know that you will bring in a perfect new world, that you are coming back for us, that anything we lose for you in this life will be more than made up for in the next one. And would that motivate us, therefore, to live lives of holiness that you know best? You're the great standard of holiness. You've written it all down for us here. Help us to believe this, to live by it. And please, with your spirit, put in our hearts now any areas of our life where we know we are not thinking, speaking, acting in holy ways. Help us to turn to you in confession of sin and rely ever more, even more, on the power of your spirit for transformation. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.